0: goodness me
1: here it is predictable well choreographed perfectly rehearsed
2: Hello and welcome to episode 14 of season 2 of Grassroots, the only podcast dedicated solely to the Grassroots women's rugby game. In this tired and emotional episode, we piece together the wreckage of the Grassroots Festival in Avonmouth, digest the event and celebrate all that was fantastic about another top weekend of rugby fun. We welcome back Sherry from her hiatus, hear all about her camping disaster and why you should check the bottle before tucking into the airport duty-free on holiday. Our interview for this episode is with Ollie, director of playing at Ipswich RUFC. He gives us the lowdown on their amazing fundraiser for the My Name is Doddy Foundation. We have put all of the information you need to donate to this amazing cause in the show notes. We hope that you enjoy it.
3: 22 months out with a triple
0: knee operation She runs in, tries for fun. I'm Goose. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie.
2: And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. Right, let's fight straight in. What a weekend again. Yeah. We've all come back from Avonmouth with a load of new friends and COVID.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: You know, I'm not sure whether I'd swap some of my new friends for a clean bill of health or not. But, uh, mm,
4: depends which one's on tag. Yeah.
2: <laughs> this is true. Oh
4: my days. This is true. Oh, go We've we
2: got to have a massive shout out before we even start to Alison from Avonmouth.
4: Oh, Absolute she literally legend made me cry.
2: <laughs> Absolutely had me in stitches. On two levels, first of all, well, you guys were on the pitch, but she tried to start a fight with... No, that's a lie. Our uh, prop Kez got in a bit of a tussle with her and um, squared up. I think there might have been some threats of fisticuffs or something. The only reason Alison didn't retaliate was because... She, who's got the best, West country accent? Goose, you're probably best place. <laughs> what were her exact words?
0: You don't want to fight me. I'm just off my community service.
2: I've just finished uh... my community service. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I'm is,
0: on
2: bail. Yeah, which is a classic line. <laughs> she then proceeded to tell me over several points how she managed to play rugby right. wearing an ankle tag um, just by <laughs> wrapping it in bubble wrap. So listeners out there, you know, if, you, if you've got an ankle tag on, it shouldn't put you off pre-season. Bit of bubble wrap, bit of duct tape, jobs are good. Yeah,
0: shout but out yeah. to Alison.
2: <laughs> That's to be said, last year... The panel conversation was great, but obviously it wasn't really us that was running it. It was a no women, no try thing. And the narrative very much followed that. This year, we freestyled it. I say we, Molly freestyled it a little bit. Um, Went rogue. Went rogue. And it has to be said, it was pretty banging. What a mall.
4: Thanks. I've listened back to it, you know. I've sent in my mum. So I've tried to get my mum. Who's breathing? Is it Jodie?
2: Yeah. Judy, you still
4: have not mute. got COVID? That is not okay. <laughs> Sorry. Like, no, no, it's
5: like you sound ill, mate. Like you sound like me breathing normally. It's <laughs> 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 I mean, a music different mics. I that's what it is. All right, I'll mute myself while I'm not talking.
4: No, it's fine. It was just like a Darth Vader impression, which like just plays <laughs> me normally. Yeah, I've been telling my mum and dad about this podcast since we started. And mum's like, "Yeah, yeah, listen to it. I'm sure it's a load of crap. Like you lot just waffling on." I told my dad about Rocky Clark and obviously that Catherine Buggy was going to be there and stuff. And he was like, "Oh, I might listen to this one. Then it sounds better than the normal crap we talk about." <laughs> so I was Thanks. like, "All right," okay. and then. They were expecting it to be a pile of shit. They didn't kind of say, oh, you know, this is going to be great. We're really excited. They were like, Molly, it's going to be dog shit, like whatever. (laughs) And they were dead open about it. They didn't fluff it up at all. And then my mum rang me and she went, that is really, really good. That's so good. Like you sound like you're on Sky Sports, but not just about me, about like the content, the questions and everything. So now they've started listening to the real
2: pod. Oh, God.
4: Yeah, (laughs) which is... I've already warned them about several episodes, which I really don't think they should listen to. (laughs) Um, The squirrel one was a highlight, so I've definitely recommended that they listen to that. And obviously they were part of the squirrel joke. But yeah, they didn't believe that that was us speaking or that these people were at our event. It was quite surreal. So got the backing from the Lathams now. But I was just on a massive high, like seeing all the kids in the room, the people that were there. Sherry asking that question about Regan and kind of relating it back to every girl that's probably been told are too slow or too, you know, big to play anywhere else on the pitch, playing prop and then just owning it. I think that was really powerful. Yeah, massively. Matt, what we probably need to do is maybe try and paraphrase the questions that were asked because you can't really hear it on the mic, can you?
2: Uh, you know, no, questions I, from
4: the audience at the yeah,
2: end. Yeah, yeah. We put in the questions, they're just a bit reduced, aren't they? So you, I think you listen to the, the raw recording. I put in the questions, I re-recorded them basically for the... Oh, rest. right. I
4: listened to the
2: raw one. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. The, the, the one that I put out is basically I got Sherry to drop us a voice note with her question and Jodie did the same and I did the same on mine. Oh, bro. Yeah, so it sounds pretty mint. I echo that. I think what really made me feel good about it was, first of all, It was really grassroots oriented. Secondly, like Rocky Clark and Catherine Buggy were two people that I'd never seen speak live. I've seen Rocky on TV and stuff and I've not, I've not met Catherine before. So you're never really sure what to expect. And sometimes these guys can, these sort of celebrity players can go through the motions a little bit and they can seem a little bit like they're just doing it for, you know, just because they've been told to by their sponsor or they get a bit of money for whatever. But, it really felt the whole thing really authentic. And I, th- I thought Gemma Norton was outstanding. I thought she was really interesting and relatable and passionate, you know, and really just gave a really clear message. I thought that was excellent. And obviously, Fiona, you know, even though she's had to go into work with a bag over her foot to hide the tattoo that Goose gave her with a Sharpie on her boot. Um,
5: yeah, that was the best.
2: I, th- I thought it was fantastic. But obviously, Goose, you know you were in the audience listening. Yeah. What was your appreciation of seeing those guys talking about grassroots rugby?
0: First off, I think Mole did a fantastic job. And I think there's another career for you there, Mole, actually. Mm. You could go places with that. You were like fantastic. Listening to like Rocky Clark in particular, I don't know what I expected of her, but I didn't expect her to be that personable. I don't know why. I just had in my head that she's like this highest capped prop for England. I just thought, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect it to be that down to earth and that normal. And the same thing for Catherine Buggy. These are like massive international rugby players and they were just totally normal, dead sound. Mm. And yeah, it was really, it was a really interesting panel. Like no offense to the Rush and her panel from last year, but actually this panel was far, far better and far more in touch with the grassroots side of rugby So it was, yeah, yeah, it was a really good job. I really enjoyed it to make sure I didn't dick dick around with Lou too much in the audience.
2: And again, like massive congrats to Ava Mouth for putting it on. It's hugely stressful, actually. There's people that have messaged me in the lead up saying, oh, I'd love to come. I just can't make it this weekend. And I don't really know much about it. Tell me a bit more about it and all the rest of it. So people are a little bit unsure about going to an event like that. And I get that because if you're going to go and turn up as a random to go and play in a team of other randoms. It doesn't sound that exciting, nor does it sound particularly exciting going into a panel discussion, even if the, the guests are pretty interesting. But the one thing that always staggers me when I go, when we've done these things is just how much joy I get from just being around like-minded people. And look, massive shout out to Z and Bev. For listening, Z and Bev turned out for Nomads. They pitched up on Friday in a camper van I've uh, never met them before. I think they play down in, where, where do they Brickson. play now? Is it? Brixton, that's it. Brixton Sirens. And, uh, you know, first night, a bit intimidating. There's quite a few of us that were there, knew each other from before and so on. So we went out for a few drinks and had some food and stuff and got to know each other. And like, literally they were just a pair of dynamos, a pair of them, putting in a good shift on the pitch. But then like afterwards, just bonkers, absolute bonkers. And people like that wouldn't have ever met another, any other walk of life. So to meet them at, an event that we've put on. Really grateful for the opportunity for that to happen, really. So I'm here with Ollie. Ollie's from Ipswich Rugby Club. Ollie, I'm honestly thinking you're director of rugby these days.
3: Well, the official role is vice chairman of playing, and we have a we have a director of rugby. So I'm kind of more on the administration side, sadly now as we're stepping away from playing. <laughs> Did you get
2: your own car parking space? That's all I'm interested in. <laughs> no,
3: no, that would be a pleasure, wouldn't it? I try and sneak towards the front of the clubhouse. If, uh, if it's a first come, first served, I'm afraid. <laughs>
2: so you're just sat in the clubhouse with a, a special blazer on. Are you on match day, whining and dining the sponsors? <laughs>
3: Yeah I'm not quite Ken Owens yeah I, I you know with the blazer I, I feel a bit more at home still with the attractive bottoms and the boots on marching up and down the touch lines than I do at the old players lunch with the with the old boys in the corner yeah trying to drag it out as, as, as long as I can being involved with the players.
2: That's it once you get to a certain age where playing is a miserable idea staying in the game somehow is, is good isn't it but by the sounds of it you've managed to do something that gives you an opportunity to inject a bit of passion and also some of your playing expertise into it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, I think I'm just close enough that you walk away fulfilled on a Saturday and absolutely no wish to go on the pitch myself these days. You know, the occasional run out for our third team who are nicknamed the Mighty and uh, we enjoy doing that every now and then as a group of old boys, but that's about as far as I go these days.
2: Ollie and I used to play together a long time ago for a team called Tumesians in, in Twickenham, which uh, they have a, a relatively new and, I believe, pretty successful ladies section. So, uh, you know, shout out to the Mighty Tees.
3: Very happy days at Tumesians. It was a fantastic club based in the heart of Twickenham. And uh, we had we had fantastic times down there, didn't we?
2: Occasionally played some rugby as well, from memory.
3: Yeah, very sparsely. I, I seem to remember more team meetings in the pub on a Friday afternoon that seemed to take precedence over the actual rugby on a Saturday.
2: absolutely it was very much a a local community club wasn't it although i think these days there's a little bit more uh, organization so i'd like to think we were part of the trailblazers that (laughs) created the foundations of the club as it is today
3: i loved every second of my time there like you say it's run by really good people really good passionate guys you know the captains ran the club effectively didn't they it was just it was just good fun really good absolutely
2: yeah i've delighted to see them continuing on their journey and you know, obviously for, you know, for the women's game there, right in the front and centre of that part of Southwest London too, which is, which is brilliant to see. Ollie, Ipswich, a big club, isn't it? We've had a little chat before we hit record about the women's section, which I believe is starting to grow. But the reason you're on the call is really to shout out to listeners. I believe you, you're doing a challenge at the moment. Do you want to talk us through what you're up to? Uh,
3: yes, we are indeed. So this year, myself and my peer group turned 40 years old. And uh, we had a few beers at Christmas time and decided we needed to do a challenge. And I presented to the group this idea that we cycled from Ipswich up to Melrose in Scotland to raise some much needed funds for uh, My Name's Doddy, Motor Neurone Disease Charity. Um, It's huge, obviously, in our rugby uh, fraternity. We've all followed with great interest his journey and and that of Rob Burrow and now um, Ed Slater and indeed seen all of the efforts that Kevin Sinfield's made to raise many millions of pounds now to help charities help fight against this horrible disease. So for us, none of us are very keen cyclists. We're all probably your stereotypical retired rugby players, a few good few pounds overweight, probably not kept our fitness to the level where it should be and not many of us had seen a bike since our kind of teenage years. So when we came up with the idea, everyone had a bit of trepidation but as with good team guys, everyone's bought in. And the problem we had in the end was actually having to turn people away because um, so many people want to be involved and get back into a team environment again. That's wow. where it
2: was founded. Well, why the, my name's Doddy then. Obviously, we've all been part of the journey of Doddy and Kevin and, and those guys as rugby fans, haven't we? But there's loads of charities out there. What made you go for that particular one?
3: Matt, I th- like myself, I think we're probably of the era where one of our first rugby memories was the Living With Lions in 97, enjoying the tomfoolery and banter that Doddy Weir gave out in- into the squad. And and then to see someone have to go through that at, at such a young age was-, was quite harrowing. But for me, the real motivation was when Rob Burrow got diagnosed. And um, I remember seeing the-, the vision when they had a testimonial game at Lee's Rhinos, which I believe was actually someone else's testimonial. And they decided to give it to Rob Burrow to raise money for the charity. And there was a picture of Rob Burrow on the pitch afterwards, a bit teary-eyed, holding his three young girls and just surrounded by his best mates in the world. At that moment, it just dawned on me that it could hit any one of us at any time. And effectively, Rob Burrow and those guys are the same as, uh, as us, in a way. You know, we haven't got the Challenge Cups and the Premiership medals, but effectively when you finish playing rugby you were all the same we're all retired guys all looking out for each other and when I saw that that image I just felt that we had to get involved and help and we keep going back to Doddy Weir's famous um, line that MND isn't incurable it's just underfunded I think we've all in the rugby community got got a little bit of um, responsibility to try and build on and carry on the work that Kevin Sinfield, Doddy Weir, Rob Burrow and indeed in the football world, Stephen Darby, have done to really raise the the profile of the disease so people understand it more and actually to get people behind it to help raise money. We're by no means alone in doing this. If you go onto their My Name's Doddy website, there's people all over the country and indeed the world who are doing various challenges to raise money. So just something I saw at the, the time of life and I saw myself in someone and I thought if it happened to me, I'd want to make sure that they were a bit further down the track with uh, cures and medicines and research
2: and actually you know it's funny you, you say how it hit home on a personal level for you just a few months ago now i was just scrolling facebook as you do and um saw a note from a hockey club in somerset where i was brought up and one of my old school friends had died of motor neurone disease and that was a bit of a shock because you know you see these sort of campaigns for people like doddy and you feel a connection with it because obviously you saw him as a player and he was a you know a great player and the era of rugby that I remember most fondly was the time where he and, you know, his uh, rugby teammates were playing, but you still feel a little bit, you know, removed from it. But to sort of see the smiling face of a guy that I used to play rugby with, play cricket with, you know, muck around at school with, who had also died, you know, at the age of what, 42, leaving behind two young daughters, that was pretty shocking and gave you that sense of it could pick anybody. And what, why did it pick him over me, I guess? So I think you're absolutely right to, to raise money for something that could ultimately be curable to stop the indiscriminate nature of the disease and, and kind of help families when they're affected as well. It can only be a good thing.
3: Part of what we're doing on this journey and this fundraising is we're not only doing it for the My Name, Names Doddy Foundation, which is hugely pointed towards the, the research and uh, administering grants through the D Association to help people in that situation you don't have to look very far around the corner as you said Matt to, to find a connection to to the disease and in one of the guys doing our ride with us is a guy called Dan Murphy who was at school with us a few years younger uh, went on to play professionally at Gloucester and then became very good friends with Ed Slater so when we started this Dan straight away put his hand up I'd like to be on and said can we do something to help Ed Slater and his family as part of the for Ed campaign that Gloucester are running. And, you know, immediately we said, Absolutely, yes, what can we do? So we're gonna be donating a portion of what we raised to to those guys to help in in that instance. I think one of the reasons you don't hear about it or didn't hear about it as much is because it's one of these diseases where you get diagnosed and before you know it, you're on a downward spiral and and it's over. The reality is a lot of these people don't live for many years once they've been diagnosed. I think the the stat is there's only 5,000 people at any one time that have got it. Um, You know, that's not to say that many more people didn't sadly pass away in that in that time frame you don't have to look very far and sadly as well in our group but one of the older guys doing it his mother is currently suffering with it as well you know it's 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 more common in 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 the kind of 60s 60s i think is, is the age range where you can get it it's become personal as the journey's gone on which only kind of motivates us more to make sure we deliver a good friend of
2: mine always said that if you're going to do a challenge and for it to be worthwhile of other people's sponsorship you should do something that either causes you personal risk to your own safety, you lose some skin, or it puts relationships in jeopardy. It sounds like this is going to do all of those things.
3: Uh, very much ticked all of the above, and I've I've sat with a couple of corporate guys and said, Ollie, unless this is going to cause you pain, we're not interested." And I've kind of <laughs> the the, the, um, the reason um, we went with the the four hundred miles or a hundred miles a day is that I kind of googled what was the bike equivalent to a marathon, and it came up with the hundred, and uh, none of us, I think, are any. Great shape to be running marathons with creaking knees, etc. So we went for the bike, and as you say, there's chafing involved, which is obviously the skin part. And the biggest challenge of it all has been the time. So my mother-in-law said the other day uh, do you think you'll continue doing it afterwards I said why would I give something up that gets me out of the house for four hours at a time <laughs> so it's like the new, it's the new you goal you can just look at goal
2: fully you. you don't need to <laughs> yeah. cycle it all the way to Scotland Crikey. I
3: know <laughs> I, I know I know so um, yeah it is all of the above and it's, it's a, everyone doing it is a huge sacrifice it's, it's a lot of hours in the saddle I think a lot of us hit 200 miles training last week and we've got to build that up over the next five weeks so it's a huge sacrifice in your life you know most of the guys are professional still and you know working very hard as well and have kids and families so yes the uh, i believe we did a video this morning one of the guys um, creeping around his wife obviously at home did a little thank you to his family for all the sacrifices they've made so I- indeed it's uh, we're all uh, pushing our luck a bit at the moment
2: absolutely well look, ollie fabulous cause and we wish you all the very best uh, for that We want to see updates on the podcast and you know, we have a a particular love of unpleasant injuries. So whilst I don't really want to see the state of your ass after a hard day cycling, (laughs) if there are any interesting bruises, grazes, scars, general misery that can spur our listeners on to to donate, then please do send them in. We'll definitely keep an eye on your progress.
3: You'll set, you'll be pleased to know that one of the lads last week had the most unusual cycling injury whilst going down a country lane and managed to get kicked by a horse in the thigh. Yes, so uh, that's the kind of thing we're dealing with at the moment, and everyone's taking reveling in his pain and his unfortunate um, incident as it was <laughs> at the moment. I love it.
2: That's very rugby, that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And guys, you know, any if to follow us, we, we're all over social media. We're uh, we have a wonderful website that we're adding to constantly called uh, www all four, the number four, mnd.co.uk. And uh, we'll keep posting our videos and our mishaps, our sufferings for you all to laugh at. And uh, hopefully it will kind of encourage you all to, uh, to donate. And you can do that via the website and take you straight to the Just Giving page. So fantastic.
2: And I know people get asked for donations for various different causes constantly. But one thing I would say about this sort of challenge is it's very much part of the rugby community. The work that the, the Doddy Foundation are doing is is absolutely fantastic. Um, so even a, a couple of quid, twice a pint or something, if we times it by all of our listeners, that's going to raise a significant amount. And we'll no doubt give these guys uh, something nice to, to aim at when it's horizontal hail, a 20 mile an hour headwind, and you've been cycling in the saddle for 80 miles already
3: yeah absolutely I, I think we've got one of those days coming at some point we have to deal with <laughs> <laughs> i about. very much
2: hope so anyway yeah. i will put the uh all the instructions of how to donate in the show notes and we'll put it on our socials as well for, for people so yeah absolutely we'll donate myself and we'll encourage all our listeners to listen to, to donate and uh, we wish you all the very best ollie
3: brilliant thanks a lot guys thank you very very good podcast as well well done
4: Matt, just about what you said about the people that kind of turn up to the event, you don't know them and stuff. Mm. The amount of people that I spoke to about life, and I'd never met them before. Like it wasn't just oh, we're talking about rugby, oh, I really like the pod. And you absolutely have all that small talk, like we love what you talk about. Oh, when you spoke about mental health, that was really powerful. And then I'm like talking to a person that I've never met before about postnatal depression, about OCD. And then the next person you talk to, they talk about, oh, I didn't really have many friends at school. And you end up going through this massive life story. And then at the end, you're having a Jager bar, more 10, at the bar with all these people in a massive group. And it's like (laughs) you've known them for your whole life all from talking on a podcast and the amount of people that said that us talking had touched their life. Like that for me, and it sounds cheesy, but it was like a bit of a, oh Jesus Christ, Sherry's touched your life. Like that (laughs) is, you know, (laughs) that is quite powerful, but they related to every single person on the podcast in different ways. So Lou's obviously a mum. She's got three grown-up-ish kids. Um, She's played rugby, she was a prop, so can relate to Rocky. You've got Jodie, who kind of played at uni, lesbian, like like, relatable things for people. You've got Goose, who obviously has played at lots of different clubs around the country.
2: Secret she's played lesbian.
4: lots of, di- yeah, secret lesbian, <laughs> lots of different positions that she's played. She's moved from scrum half into the forwards. jody's moved the other way. You know, you've coached. You've got kids that play different sports, and you know, you were pretty good at rugby. Didn't quite make it, but you did a good job. Like, there's just so many different people on the podcast that they can relate to somebody somehow. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was evident at um, Avonmouth that everybody could relate to one of us, and that's what yeah. makes us such a good group. Not to give us a pat on the back but we are fucking
2: yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, good for our totally amateurs. Agree. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I found as well is uh, I had a long chat with, with Jen. Admittedly, we we're about 15 points deep at this point and could barely see. But you know, she was showing some some fairly kind of difficult stuff about the way the season's gone and the relationship with the wider club and all this sort of stuff. And it was just like, I've heard that story so many times. One thing I love about these events and like connecting with all these different teams up and down the country is so many of the problems that seem massive in our world, they're just one step on the journey. You set a team up, you're right, it's all exciting. You're full of the buzz of this girl canon in a warrior and all of this sort of stuff. and you know, you build your little team and it's all brilliant. And then you realize that the men's section aren't too happy about it because all of a sudden they can't get strippers into the clubhouse on a Saturday afternoon. You know, believe me that does happen by the way, or did you get the committee that are buying kit that doesn't fit the women's section. You get put on the furthest pitch away from the clubhouse because you know, the first team are at home. Do you know what I mean? All these little things that start to kind of gripe are the same for everybody But what you find is, is that as you develop as a team, all these little steps that you take forward, get you closer to the end goal. The end goal is a thriving women's section that's self sustainable with a pipeline of players, with coaches that are dedicated to the women's game, totally integrated with the, the men's section, sustainable financially, with kit that represents who you are and fits with your own sponsors. Like all of that is the ultimate end goal of where you're going, right? But to get there takes all these little steps. And it takes all these bumps in the road and all of these frustrations that are the same everywhere you go. Everyone you speak to that's been through the journey of setting up a women's team talks about the same things. Facilities aren't right. We're put on a training day we do that doesn't suit our needs. Players come in and out. You know, the coach can't coach women, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's just the journey. And like hearing them, people like, right in the middle of a certain stage, it's really nice to be able to help out and actually give some advice.
5: So I feel like when you're in your own little corner of the country, the world, your own team, you feel like you're fighting these battles alone. Yeah. Like you have all these hardships just trying to get bins in the toilets for the girls, for the women. It's such a hard battle. And then you go over and someone else is fighting that battle. and You kind of feel like we're all doing this. We're all playing our little part in our own little corners of the country to bring the women's game forward to highlight it as a whole and I think that if you listen to this pod go to a rugby event any it doesn't have to be ours go to one of them you will you will feel heard you'll realize that you have your position you are fighting the battle you're being heard and you'll make the little steps is making progress and I feel like that is what we did at the event at the weekend it just really resonated with we are a big team we are selectively we feel small but the The professionals, Rocky Clark, Catherine, all together, we are working towards the same goal and you kind of feel like the community is so much bigger than what it is. It's big, but it's bigger than you can ever believe.
2: Yeah, massively. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I, the rock, I, the river, I, the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid.
0: Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. The
2: Greeks had Socrates, Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby.
3: This is where legends
2: are made. Chez says. I don't even know how is. You've recovered from the Avermouth experience.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was all right, a bit tired, you know. Not much sleep took place. It's not easy when you're sleeping on the floor in a damp awning. I basically woke up in an otter's pocket. That's how it felt.
2: So, yeah, for listeners, then, Sherry, I think we need to revisit your approach to camping that weekend. Much trauma was caused by you.
1: I think it all started when I asked you, Maggie's coming. Have you got a tent, Batty? Yes, I've got a tent. How big is the tent? It's a two-man. Actually, oh, well, it definitely fit me and Maggie in. Yeah, it's basically a three-man. They were your exact words. It's two, if not a three.
2: Now I'd say three, if not a four. It's a three-man tent.
1: Yeah, in your opinion, was it a three-man tent? I brought a single bed which didn't fit in. Which many are you talking about?
2: I wouldn't describe myself as a small human being, right? Exactly. Plus, well, so I don't quite have the dimensions of your husband i'm not what you might call small and i quite successfully slept in it with my son who's 15 who's also pretty tall
1: you literally must have been on the floor on top of each other
2: we could have had another person in that tent i'm a not gonna say away. a big person we could have had a, a leprechaun lucy or <laughs> somebody else in that tent would have been fine we could have, we had room for our baggage it was quite cozy But
1: so what went wrong then Because you saw it with your eyes. That was a single bed. It was just high. It was just single. What
2: went wrong, Sherry, is when you said to me, I've got a large air mattress, nothing quite prepared me for what large air mattress looked like. It looked like one of those life rafts that they use on ships to try and save people when it's it's sinking.
1: Out the Titanic, the one that got 60 of the passengers in.
2: It could quite easily transport some illegal immigrants off across the channel, that mattress.
1: It was labelled up as a single. Granted, it was high, but it was only single size.
2: So it was almost a complete square, Sherry. It wasn't just high. It was almost as tall as it was long.
1: Well, anyway, it was a one-man bed, and it didn't fit in a three-man tent, so something didn't (laughs) quite work. Did you buy it in a bog-off sale? Clearly, the dimensions were incorrect. Was it off some dodgy Japanese website?
2: The three-man wish tent.
1: Yeah.
2: I just felt sorry for Maggie. Poor old Maggie. First experience of going away with the rugby lot, and she's faced with the prospect of either... (laughs) Sleeping pressed up against the wall of a tent. <laughs> gradually suffocated the to death top. by a mattress. <laughs> I mean, she was trying to sleep in my car at one point. Me? No Maggie did. Why?
1: She came out on top. She ended up with a whole tent just for her.
2: Yeah. I thought I was gonna have to share a tent with her at one point. I was like, oh, I God, like Maggie, but I don't I think that. I don't think I know her well enough to share a tent with her just yet.
1: Well, it could have been worse. You could have ended up sleeping in Polly's pocket like I did in the awning with no other layer on the floor. And I woke up cold and moist with a bad back.
2: So not only was this mattress enormous, but it also had a hole in it?
1: Well, it didn't in the beginning. I think dragging it around from one place to the next, it couldn't take anymore and it just gave up the ghost. (laughs) It was whole when I arrived. By the first morning, I was on the floor. It was like sleeping on a piece of cling film. (laughs) I was like a three-day-old tuna sandwich.
2: Should have given you my crisp packet.
1: It would have been better than that. It was disgusting. I was wet. I was flat. I couldn't move. I couldn't stand up. Everything that could be wrong was wrong. So I had no choice than to sit and open a can of Strongbow at 7am to get a bit of Dolly Parton on. No electric, no running water.
2: So Molly woke up to you pumping an air mattress up at five in the morning while singing Dolly Parton.
1: <laughs> and drinking Strongbow dark free' And
2: drinking Strongbow.
1: <laughs> it's the full experience.
2: So the lesson here, Sherry, is I think next year we need bricks and mortar
1: I'm taking a gazebo and an awning next year. Not an awning. What yeah. they called it? A marquee. That's what I'm taking. Yeah. I know someone who hires does them for weddings, so I'm going to take that.
2: But knowing you, you'll find an air mattress that's even bigger than that one and still have the same problem.
1: <laughs> I'm going all out next year. I'm having electric, a microwave, free view, the lot. I'm not messing about with that.
2: To hire a camper van. That's what we need. Bevan Z. They look pretty comfortable in there, don't they?
1: Luckily, they had electric to pump up my bed. That saved me about three hours. But then it went down anyway. (laughs) Molly wakes up at 3am to...
2: So basically, we've done two festivals, and on both occasions, you have disturbed Molly's sleep in in some capacity.
1: It wasn't even Reed's fault this time. No, it wasn't. To be fair, if there was a bath, I would have got in it, but there wasn't. Couldn't even get in the (laughs) the clubhouse. This experience was worse than sleeping in the bath with my toe in the tap. It was even worse than that. At least that place had electric and running water. At the very least, next time can we camp next to a stream so I can go swimming or something to pass the time till the clubhouse (laughs) opens. (laughs) Somewhere to keep the beer cold.
2: Well, there we go. Any listeners out there that have got a club that's near a river or a stream, nice flat ground would be good. You know
1: that film, A River Runs Through It?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just float around on the air matches. A lake would be nice, wouldn't it?
1: It's being raffled off in Avonmouth
2: was it left it there it's,
1: it's the main prize in there after game raffle she has, says his deflated bed
2: my god honestly
1: who wouldn't want that
2: poor ava mouth not only do they have to witness all of this nonsense going on <laughs> then they then saw you turning up dressed as an old lady complete with catheter bag full of apple juice which then people proceeded to drink out of
1: yeah molly squirted across the dance floor some woman nearly broke her neck she nearly ended up really <laughs> on crutches very nasty accident with the contents of the catheter bag
2: i I admire your attention to detail Shaz, but it was particularly revolting that
1: i can't believe how many people came to me and asked me if it was real dead straight face not even joking oh my god (laughs) do you actually wear a catheter i mean i am known when it's fancy dress i I go big or go old, but get get, actually getting catheterized is a, a level that even i wouldn't go to
2: well, to be fair, Molly could have done with being catheterised, so then she would have to climb over your face in the night to go for a piss.
1: Oh, that was disgusting. It was not okay. At one point, she actually sat on my forehead. <laughs> and I didn't know whether the moist was her or the awning roof, because there was no inner layer. I still don't know, to be fair. But I did wake up with a cold sore three days later, so I'm going with the first option. <laughs> <laughs> I had to buy a Zafirax. Even the Bongella wouldn't cut it, so I think it was probably Polly's fault. Bad times. Bit of chafing. Nobody needs that at three in the morning on a deflated <laughs> no. mattress with water dripping onto your head. <laughs> Polly's rear end on your forehead and you're on the floor and can't move. There was nothing <laughs> right about it.
2: <laughs> so there you go. So we're painting a pretty bleak picture of what it's like camping at the Grassroots Streets Festival. The drama was isolated to to Sherry's tent I think everybody else it's funny I can't pretend I had a good night's sleep not least because the Avermouth supporters decided that they'd come for an after show party outside our tents until about 3 in the morning
1: I woke up at 4 and I I literally thought we were actually in the middle of a dogging field there was headlights flashing into the tent I thought oh I don't believe it Batty's gone dogging I thought someone had picked the tent up and moved it in the night while I was asleep And I'd, w- I'd woke up in Bathpool Park, where it turns out it was actually happening right there. What was going on?
2: It's been a fair bit of trying to piece together the events of that day, actually. I think, I
1: think there's still some piecing together to do.
2: No, yeah, there is. Particularly how everybody seemed to just be changing clothes, as in swapping clothes with each other.
1: Bizarre. How did that even start? What's that all about?
2: Well, nobody really knows. This is the thing. It just seemed to happen. <laughs> Literally, I went to the loo or went and was chatting to somebody and came back and everybody was wearing different clothes
1: i woke up my uh, my own clothes there was no drama on the floor wet and there was only one thing for it there was a cheese and broccoli quiche that i'd bought the day before that was probably inedible to be fair it had a full day in that heat but john and i shared it anyway because what are your options at that time in the morning so day one was a can of warm, dark fruits. Day two was a sweaty cheese and broccoli quiche. But, you know, oh, needs more. The
2: cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. <laughs> but you didn't actually play rugby this year, Sherry.
1: Well, I just wanted a rest. I wanted to, like, enjoy the day. Well, to be fair, I probably couldn't have played anyway, seeing as the only option was start drinking at seven in the morning. By the time the rugby was due to kick off, I was on about me 12 double gin and tonic. So it probably wouldn't have ended well. I just no, thought, do you know what? True. I'll... I'm going to take it all in this time.
2: What was it like meeting Rocky Clark and people?
1: Oh, yeah, it's really good. Really cool. It's really good to hear from people who've made it to that level, but they're just so normal. That's what I yeah, like. Yeah, totally. They're just yeah. completely normal. You know, that question I asked for Regan, to be able to get that kind of advice for her from someone who's been there, done it and doing it, it's like massive. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really good. I think they enjoyed it. They had a good day as well.
2: Yeah, it seems to. Yeah, yeah, it's really good feedback afterwards. So definitely, we definitely need to up the game for the next one. Although there's been talk of us having it at home next year. I'm not sure I'm keen on that idea.
1: No, I don't think home. Maybe closer to home, but not home. Further away than Chester. Yeah. Can we go to Morecambe? Where's that? Morecambe Bay? It's
2: a fair distance. Couple of, yeah, it's a couple of hours, isn't it?
1: Because I wanted to go and find Tyson Fury. And there's a beach, there's a fair. What's not to like? I was hoping to get on his documentary. Were you? Because my life is very similar. <laughs> Seems that we have a lot in common.
2: Which bit in particular?
1: His wife just wakes up and he's bought a plane and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally <laughs> living it.
2: So it's a dog rather than a plane?
1: Yeah, but it could literally be anything. We just never know how the day's going to pan out. We should throw some options into the hat and pull one out. That's what we should do. That could be it. Do it on the pod. Get people yeah. to put forward if they'd like to host it and why. Narrow it down to a short list and pull one out of the hat live on the pod. Yeah, exactly. Like it. Definitely. You know, within a certain distance. Somewhere with like a night out kind of town or a beach and, you know, stuff. We could go for like five days. <laughs> five days. <laughs> yeah. I it, you went know. for
2: five days, I'd end up in some kind of rehab centre afterwards.
1: <laughs> I do anyway. I come out of the rehab thing to go to it and then go back. <laughs> you no, know, you know, like a nice little mini break. Bit too much of a rush, rugby out back the next day. Maybe go Thursday, come back Wednesday. How's that? Yeah? Have a couple of days out.
2: I think Molly might request that you sleep at least a mile away from where she is. I think you're haunting her dreams right now.
1: Well, I think we should look for a villa with a pool or something.
2: There you go. Get Martin to buy a house somewhere. We just go to that.
1: (laughs) He's probably done it. I just don't know about it. I'll rent (laughs) someone on Airbnb and he'll be the host. Oh, I recognise that man. (laughs) But no, I think we need somewhere with running water and electric.
2: That'd be a good start, wouldn't it? And
1: beds that don't need inflating at 3am.
2: Yeah. Or just beds. Just beds would be nice.
1: I think we're at the yeah. third time lucky stage now.
2: Having slept on a crisp packet on the kitchen floor, I've slept on bed slats on top of a, 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 an air mattress and in a tent.
1: Waking up moist, chafed, and Molly's arse on your forehead.
2: Well, it's everyday occurrence for John, that, isn't it?
1: He's a braver man than me.
2: Well, there doesn't seem to have been any illicit liaisons going on. There's usually something.
1: Well, it probably was. We just haven't found out yet.
2: No. Jodie seemed to be in a tent on her own, which is amazing.
1: She was there when she woke up. It doesn't mean she was there all night. (laughs) Yeah. She had a back way out. It was double zipped. So the naked eye, it looked like she'd gone in, but she probably popped out the back like Mr. Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Went in as Jodie, came out as a cowgirl. An extra from Brokeback Mountain.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. So new season coming up, Sherry? Are you retired?
1: Well I've I've like retired from training because I just worked all summer. I've just been doing 12 hour shifts but I try and work the beginning of the week so I can have like Friday, Saturday, Sunday off which is the time to do stuff with your family in it when they're off school and whatever. In the next couple of weeks I've got a few things coming up. I've got a wedding, I've got um, Regan's 18th, I'm going to York for four days. So after all that is out of the way then I'll be back in the game so i'm yeah. just not very available until october but after that i'll be back back in the room
2: you're playing the sensible game which is wait for everybody to like all the enthusiasm to die down
1: and yeah, all, that. all the people who've been training since three hours after the season ended they'll be broken by october so i'll step up and save the day
2: yeah, so all the kind of no train, no play rules will be out the window by the end of October.
1: Yeah, exactly. I
2: you know, can't even get 14 for a home game against Chester or something.
1: I just don't feel the need to do pre-season training for nine years.
2: It's not even pre-season training. There's just no end to the season.
1: So I'm all right. I'm good. My joints are well oiled. I never leave the house without a bottle of Frylight, as you know. Give myself a quick spritz to keep me moving.
2: <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, got a letter from a listener. Oh God. Dear Auntie Chez, the highlight of my day has always been listening to you. I don't know what it is, but somehow listening to the trials and tribulations of your crazy life gives me comfort that my own fairly routine existence isn't so bad after all. So my question is this, where have you been? I can only assume that you've been at an all-summer dogging convention and therefore haven't been able to take the time to come and regale the listeners of the podcast with your various exploits. Please come back and talk to us. Lots of love denise starbridge ladies
1: i'm back here i am i'm not back playing yet we'll be soon i went to cyprus for two weeks i think i think we need to throw in here by do the listeners know maybe the listeners need to write to you you know when you ring me at like eight forty-two on a wednesday morning and say can are you ready for the pod in nine minutes and i'm on a 12-hour shift <laughs>
2: that's never actually happened jerry
1: well not far off <laughs> or 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 I get like a day and a half's notice, but I've got an hour window. Then you disappear off the face of the fucking earth. Gone to Sahara to bring all this sand back to throw on people's cars or something. But wherever you were, you were unfindable. So maybe that's something to do with it. Your planning is not the best, is it really?
2: (laughs) So I had four days in the Lake District without any phone reception, which this this accounts for the time where I was apparently off grid in the Sahara Desert. (laughs) I freely admit... We've only got your word
1: for it. And then some bullcrap story about your tyre blowing up.
2: My tyre did blow up. Oh, yeah. Near-death experience.
1: That bought you a day.
2: So I freely admit that I haven't been that organised.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then after that, you send a message out. Oh, are you free for the pod? Yeah. I booked my shifts like a week before. Oh, can you do tomorrow at 8am? It's now midnight the night before. Er, uh, no. And then on the times I can do, you're missing. I need at least a week's notice, Batty. You need to up your okay. game or get a PA. But I'm back now. The moral of the story is, Denise, Batty needs a PA. Are you available or do you know anyone?
2: So Denise, if you want to be my PA, you can coordinate. She's busy to calendar. You might have to s- slot me in in between dogging sessions, stalking Tyson Fury, dog training. So in all the time you've been away from the pod, Sherry, there must have been some interesting experiences. I can't believe that in all of the time since you've last come on the pod, all you've managed to do is work.
1: There was one episode actually, you know I like a bargain, so we were at the airport and the Smirnoff was on, I normally wouldn't buy it because obviously we're all inclusive so I don't need it, because we were in a villa I thought I'll get a litre of vodka. I knew the blue was stronger, blue Smirnoff, than the red Smirnoff, I didn't know how much stronger, (laughs) you know it takes me a lot to get drunk and I thought, do you know what, I think I'll buy the blue one, don't know how much stronger it is but it's a bit stronger, might as well. What I thought was, it'd last me longer because it's stronger. But don't forget, I'm a fan of the double-double. So clearly, when I was making the measures, I did not take that fucker into account. So on day one, get up early, hit the pool, waited till about 11am before I opened the vodka. And then I thought, it's five o'clock somewhere, I am on holiday. Started on the Smirnoff blue, did the measures how I always do them. Didn't really realise, but it was seriously hot. It was when those heat waves were going on, so it was like 41, 43 every day. It was horrific. Obviously, you've got to keep your fluids up. And then I started to feel a bit like, bloody hell, I can tell I've had a drink, and that doesn't normally happen to me. It hit me like a brick, and I thought, (laughs) fucking hell. (laughs) Went inside and checked the bottle. Red is 37.5. Do you know what percent blue is? No, 40. 50. 50? 50. Yes, and I didn't know that. (laughs) And I've been hammering the double-doubles between 11 and 4. Went upstairs to have a shower to get ready to go out at night for a family meal. Didn't actually realise how wankered I was. My family don't even know about this because I'm trying to act normal. Don't forget you've got marble floors and wet feet. That's not ending well with me anyway. Go up into the bathroom. I leant over to get the soap or the shampoo or something. I can't remember. Went fucking flying, lost my balance because obviously I was leathered. Went to grab the shower curtain to save myself and ripped the shower curtain out the wall, the rail, the <laughs> pole, and everything. Come down on me head and I landed on the toilet and nearly broke my heart. <laughs> but luckily, they don't know anything about that. They will now if they listen to the pod. I was like, Jesus Christ.
3: <laughs> How the did you explain Apple that one? was
1: dropped. Well, I didn't tell anyone. I put it back up, fixed it all together, and made it look like nothing had happened. <laughs> Smashed all my ribs in on the toilet. <laughs> Look, I didn't end up in a and a. You know when you go flying up in the air, you just grab the first thing because you've got to try and stop yourself. Well, it was a curtain on one of those poles that springs back in two, so the whole lot come down. So I'm lying on the bathroom floor, holding my ribs and my legs up in the air with the, the shower curtain and the shower pole on top of me.
2: <laughs> Were you actually in a state of undress at this point as well from the shower?
1: I wasn't. It was in the shower. <laughs> like shampoo broke everywhere. It wasn't a pretty sight. <laughs> But I had to get my shit together very quick before someone found me. <laughs> and the moral of the story is, just remember when you're buying alcohol that's a lot stronger than you normally drink, to either drink less or make your measures smaller. Epic fail. But apart from that near-death experience, it's been quite a normal summer, to be fair, because obviously I've worked a lot and I don't seem to get in trouble at work. I have to be normal. <laughs> it's probably the best thing for me, actually. <laughs>
2: Classic shirt says. Anyway, it's great to have you back. I just didn't
1: know. I just knew. I just knew it was stronger, but I I had no idea it was fifty percent. And I didn't gradually get drunk. It's one of those things where I was fine, and someone flicked the switch. Oh fuck! What just happened? (laughs) Yeah. And and then it was like, right, we're going out in an hour. Is everyone getting showered? Yeah. Great. Bang. (laughs) What was that? I'm lying on a marble floor with my feet wrapped around my head. (laughs) wasn't pretty sounds
2: was like a job for Pim and Pam that
1: well yeah I nearly had to go to them I actually did have a massage when I was there but it wasn't Pim and Pam-ish I came out unbroken did you so it just goes to show it isn't my problem it's theirs
2: yeah so you came out relaxed mm. whale song
1: yeah truly well not relaxed but I wasn't crying either
2: <laughs> There are certain things, though, that are really starting to gripe with me about the way women's teams are treated and the way. And also, any teams out there listening, right? You need to stand up for yourselves sometimes as well. You know, the survey we did recently that was part of the competition, you know, 70 old teams represented, 85% or thereabouts or of those teams do not have a kit that's appropriate for their needs.
4: That's disgusting. It's like, just wrong. That is just so wrong especially when after everything that we've been through you know obviously Ireland not wearing not having the models for their kit the amount of businesses that we've got so we've got scrum bum we've got help me out here Rugget. Rugget. yeah like we've got all
5: these people go on goose who else Halber as well who are actually working towards creating a women's fit style kit it's out there it's easy accessible
4: Yeah. Do you not think the men would be like, right, you've whinged about that for enough now, we'll give it you. I know that sounds stupid, but like the club, I'm fed up with the women's team harping on that they've not got a women's fit kit. If they don't support the game, as a human, I get really annoyed at people that come to me with the same problems all the time and there's no solution. We go to them with a solution. They don't take it. That's not, as humans, them saying, nah, I can't be asked to you know give you what you want. That's saying, actually, I'm saying no to women's rugby. And that's why I get... Pissed off about it. It's not, no, because I'm not a nice human and I'm making my life difficult. We've gone on about it for four or five years now. Now you're just being sexist and saying that women shouldn't play rugby. And I think that's probably, Matt, why you're pissed off because it's gone that far past I'm, being an individual. I'm inconvenience. pissed off about it
2: because we've had this conversation for, th- for two years now. I'm pissed off about it because time and time again, you see surveys that are trying to figure out why women drop out of team sports. And one of the top things they talk about is equipment. A lot of this other stuff, is the, the peripheral stuff around, I don't know, whether it be childcare or that, that's easy to fix, right? But unless manufacturers are, are, you know, are out there figuring this stuff out and recognising it as a problem, then it's not going to go away, is it? You know, I, it was amazing talking to some of the players on on Saturday. It's the first time they've ever worn comfortable shorts.
0: But this is what gets me, though. It comes down to the, to the manufacturers as well, like... We as a as a club apparently had a women's fit kit last season. It wasn't a women's fit kit. In my eyes, it was a men's kit with just women's sizes printed in the back of it. It wasn't women's fit in the slightest. They sold it to us as a women's fit, but it wasn't. So there's got to be a push on the manufacturers as well. I don't understand how Halbro can do it and can do it so well, and yet others out there just aren't cottoning on to the fact that this is an easy market to sell kit to. We want it. You just need to create the kit, and we will buy it. And we'll yeah. I don't understand why, as you say, we are two years into this discussion, if not longer, and we are still having it. Like, what is going on?
2: But it's so important. Like, if I play, I played cricket a couple of weeks ago, and I was a bit I was running a bit late. Surprise! Uh, and I grabbed a, a cricket shirt out of the cupboard. That was a bit old. And let's just say I'd wintered well and had maybe chubbed up a little bit in the wrong places uh, to play. So I was out there, you know, bowling on a fairly hot day. And every time I let go of the ball, my belly popped out the bottom of my shirt. Not a good look at the best of times. But it caused me massive anxiety. Like properly, I felt really self-conscious, really uncomfortable, and it massively affected my performance. And that was the first time in my in my life I've experienced a situation where. Something as fundamental as a clothes you're wearing was stopping me enjoying the, one of my passions. And yet you speak to women in the game and I mean every single person I've spoken to almost without any exception has had some complaint. They've either been putting a men's shirt that's eight sizes too big, the shorts ride up, you know, or they can't even put them on in the first place. They're having to wear a different shirt because in the kit they were given there isn't the right size. I mean, this is like basic stuff, right?
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's frustrating that it's still an issue. Women's rugby has come so far. And you think the women at the top of our game, the England players, the premiership teams, to a certain extent, I mean, there was that whole debacle wasn't there when Harlequins ladies ran out in the Harlequins men's shirts and they they just looked ridiculous because some of them were just, Jess Breach in particular was just swamped in a man's Mm. shirt so it's still happening at that level it shouldn't be happening if you want to inspire the next generation of young girls to come into rugby i don't want them having the same worries that we have had about kit i want them to be able to come into our sport knowing that they don't even have to think about kit it's just there it's just a given that it's there for them so that this is one less worry for them to have And we should be able to do that. It's not impossible, so I don't understand why we can't do it.
2: And again, going back to selecting the manufacturer in the first place that you go with, there isn't a single manufacturer of women's fit kit that doesn't also make a men's fit kit. Yeah. So the argument doesn't stack with me. Oh, well, you know, we've got to look after the the wider section. We've got to think of, you know, the women's section is 30 players and we've got 300 male players. Yeah, but this manufacturer over here has a dedicated women's fit kit that they can also provide a kit for the rest of the men's section. And yet all of the main providers, you know, O'Neill's, you know, VX3, or whatever they're called, all of these guys, they don't cater for women's bodies. And yet we're saying, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, we've got to think of the bigger picture and the wider club. No, (laughs) that isn't an issue for the wider club because they all make men's fit kit. The ones that don't make women's fit kit, if you have a women's section, are not fit for purpose.
5: But
0: it's not just us, is it? I think prime example at the moment, and you've got to got to give a shout out to the lionesses for the for the football World Cup. You've got the world class leading goalie in URPS and Nike are not heeding the message that young girls out there want her kit, but they're yeah. not making it. Like it's an own goal, Nike. Like you sell those shirts out, they will sell out. Why? Why are companies so averse? to providing women with the kit that they are demanding and that they want. Mm. I don't understand it. I genuinely don't. If there's a kit manufacturer out there that can come on and explain that to me, I'm all ears. No,
3: I agree.
0: Matt, just on that,
4: so Goose has said... There's loads of young girls that want that kit. I bet there's absolutely thousands of young lads that are goalies that want that kit as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like,
4: I don't understand. You can't force someone to do something. So if you go to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something I can compare it to. If you go to a coffee shop and they only stock coffee, but you drink tea, you don't Stay, you go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> so yes. for
4: me, if our kit providers don't do women's kit, I don't care if they've got a sponsorship deal or they've gone to Tender and we've secured them for three years. Yeah, we secured the deal on the basis that you would supply us with men's fit kit for our men's team. We are a completely different yeah. entity. So I'm not going to go to Costa and have them turn around to me and say, which they did on Saturday when me and Jody wanted one oh Oh, we don't do ice drinks here, mate, but you can have a cup of coffee. I don't want a hot drink, mate. I want a cold drink. It, they've got to cater for us and they don't. So for me, that's already a brooch of agreement. Rather, we tendered for it or not at any club. Women should be able to go and get their own supplier because it's not the club. It's yeah. the women.
2: Yeah. But that goes again against part of the survey. One of the things that shocked me was 90% or something of the clubs. And this is over, I look back over the one we did last year as well. So we're looking at around 100 teams. So whilst it's not all of the teams in all of the country, it's a pretty decent cross-section, right? 90-plus percent of decisions are made without consultation with the women's section. And that absolutely echoes what happened at our club. You know, the supplier that we're with came in and said, oh, yeah, we do women's fit kit. And the committee said, oh, great, love some of that. They didn't actually give it to the women and say, try these things on, what does it look like? You know, try it on the players that maybe have different shaped bodies that are more likely to be challenging for your standard, you know, sizing. Didn't do that. Said, yeah, yeah, that'll do. We'll have some of them, please. And that net effect is, you know, women's sections feel disenfranchised. Players feel uncomfortable in what they're wearing. And if those that perhaps have, you know, more deep-seated self-confidence issues will stop playing altogether. I mean, it's really shocking to me to hear someone like Gemma Norton on the, in the interview last week talk about her body dysphoria. It's like, I mean, she's an amazingly powerful woman, like in amazing shape. And yet so much of her life she spent being anxious about the way she looks, you know, if just one other person has that in a team and they stop playing because of it, it's a tragedy, isn't it?
4: 100%. Definitely. Anyway, um, yeah. Just before we get on a rant, so I was talk it like Paul. sharing a
2: tent with Sherry. <laughs> There's
4: a <Right>. rant. <laughs> I said, Matt, before I go on the rant, I've actually seen Maggie today. Seen oh, really? Maggie God. Today. I wish she, yeah. She survived. She's alive. Accosted me- yeah. She accosted me on the barony while I was walking the dog. And I was like, hello. And she's like, I'm coming down to watch you on Saturday. I fucking loved it. So she's now coming to watch us play rugby. For Maggie. Yeah. like Fair play to Maggie. Maggie,
2: actually. Shout out. So for listeners, Maggie is a friend of Sherry. She's not a rugby player. She's kind of part of our social s- circle a little bit. But she came down to the festival last week and she had one of the more... <laughs> challenging introductions to um, to a festival uh, on that first night. Got properly stuck in and uh, yeah, she had a really good time so it's really brilliant that she's, she's coming down to watch. Anyway, you're putting a poll up Molly?
4: I'm going to put a poll up and ask who has true women's fit kit at their club and yeah, I it. bet it's going to go off.
2: Yeah. But also ask who was consulted when a decision was made over who to go with as a supplier because that's what really shocked me is like, Okay, some teams, they're in locked in three-year contracts. Women's section is quite new. Fair enough. You know, it's not, not easy. You've got to make do a little bit. Plus, also, there's the financial side of it. But yeah. so many have changed supplies relatively recently, gone into contracts, no consultation. Not good enough.
4: We could spend episodes and episodes talking about this, couldn't we? But maybe,
2: yeah.
4: I don't know, Jodie, do you want to tell the Sherry story?
5: Which bit? Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> the whole shabang. the
2: very beginning.
5: <laughs> How long have we got? So sherry went decided to go up with maggie lou and matt in his vehicle honestly i'm glad i wasn't traveling because it was packed to the rafters tight as anything surprised they got everything up Q getting the tents up in the rain we arrived slightly earlier than them was it matt that provided the tent yeah i did yeah yeah
2: so we go back a step sherry texted me in the week to say matt have you got a tent i can borrow i said yes she said is it big and I said, well, it's three-man. I said, well, why do you need it big? She said, because I've got a big mattress. I said, yeah, well, who are you sharing with? Or oh, me and Maggie. It was like three-man tent, her and Maggie, big mattress. That should be fine.
5: Yeah, absolutely fine. And then as she's put the tent up and starts pumping up her mattress, which I can only describe as a sofa, a two-man <laughs> sofa, it was three-foot deep, three-foot wide, and about seven-foot long. <laughs> it was ridiculous she's trying to ram this into this air quotes three-man tent it was just not going in it she was trying to ram it in wasn't going to fit even if she did get it in which i think she did try to and it was hanging out the tent maggie wasn't gonna have anywhere to sleep so there's a whole argument about where maggie was going to go where show was going to go it could have been solved easily if she'd gone no it's all right i'll just get rid of the mattress i don't need it it's massive there's a perfectly Good mattress there, spare one. A little bit flatter, you know, like two inches, which is completely necessary. That's fine. And no, wouldn't. was adamant she was keeping this mattress. So Molly, stupidly or kindly, however you want to phrase it, allowed (laughs) Sherry into her atrium.
2: I don't Uh, think Molly had much of a say in it, did she? I think Sherry basically decided that that was the only fix to the problem, mm. to sleep in the porch of Molly's tent.
5: Yet Molly was having John stay in her tent as well. So yet again, after the second year, Molly has had Sherry as a guest in her room with her boyfriend. Was there any snoring this time or staring at you?
2: So the thing that I found staggering about it was the fact that there was a simple solution to the problem.
5: Sherry not
4: to use her mattress.
2: Yeah, she could have given me her mattress, which would have fitted nicely in my tent. <coughs> And she could have used my mattress, which was perfectly comfortable. In fact, very comfortable. But no.
5: True to Sherry. Yeah,
2: she revisited the, the sleeping arrangements of last year. So how, how was that, Molly, actually?
4: Yeah, so the fact of the matter was that Sherry's mattress was in the foyer slash porch of my tent. And there was no way to climb over through the front entrance to my tent without literally straddling the air mattress and I mean like full straddle because it was that big so Sherry proceeded to put all her belongings in my section and said oh we'll use that as the the space to store stuff so I was like great so that's even more space gone for me and then she said when you need the toilet in the night don't forget to wake me up we'll go together And I was like, Sherry, there's no possible way I can get out of the tent without climbing on top of you because you've blocked the side entrance to the tent with the freaking mattress. So there was no way out for me. It was a massive fire hazard. And then Sherry, in the middle of the night, deflated. So her mattress just deflated. So when I (laughs) rolled over to look like if Sherry was still alive, Sherry was on the floor with the two sides of the mattress like poking up. And she was literally sunk into this inflatable mess with all her princess blankets and everything else. Her <laughs> eye mask on, and her earplugs on so she couldn't hear me snore. And before she went to sleep, she said, can you keep it down, Latham? And I was like this is my tent. Like, this is my tent. This is why I wanted my own tent because I know I snore. On the second night, I was obviously KO'd, drunk, just passed out, knackered after the day. John and Sherry are having a 30-minute conversation about the people that got brought back to the campsite and saying what crap choice in music they got for 30 minutes and they're just having like a proper lover's conversation while I'm in the middle snoring. (laughs) And, then Sherry proceeded to want to pump the mattress up with Jody's pump at 5am in the morning. So then we were all awake, still pissed at 5am with no air in the mattresses. And Sherry then decides the porch is in fact not waterproof and she agrees with me. Dear God. So yeah, it was quite an ordeal. It was quite I'm, a sight. I'm not having third time lucky. Like I'm literally not having a it my tent again.
2: No. And I'm
5: That's getting it. a Next logs. time
2: she's responsible for her own accommodation plans.
5: What happened to Sherry's tent in the morning though? Uh, Sorry, Sherry's mattress in the morning.
2: Molly and I had had enough at this point. So we, uh, we we took the the mattress for a little walk and um, hid it in the middle of a rugby pitch some distance from the tent. I knew
0: shit had gone wrong in the night when I turned up on Saturday morning and Sherry's bed was in the middle of the opposite rugby pitch. It's like, oh, (laughs) something's gone wrong here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was emotional. And then to, to cap all of this off, the kind of after match uh, dress code for, for the nomads team was gr- dress as your granny or granddad in my case, which we all, you know, we all did a reasonably good job of. Although Goose, I don't recall you having a con. I
0: did for called? a bit and then I, s- I sat in a really wet patch and like soaked through the outfit. So I was just, I was miserable and tired and wet at that point. <laughs> so probably like a proper old person.
2: <laughs> Let me propose a hypothesis and Molly jump in here if you think I'm going too far with this. <laughs> So this is my hypothesis that Goose intended all along to slope off back to Devon after the game, never had a costume in the first place, and then was persuaded, cajoled, bullied basically to stay. I told her. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I told her. No.
2: When she was forced to stay through peer pressure and general abuse, she had no costume. That's what I think happened. There was never a costume in the first place. There was always an intention to slide away in the night.
4: No, no, I think she did have the intention to stay because I supplied her with her nighty. However, I went a bit rogue in the changing room and got my headscarf and grey painted on me by our our friends from the camper van. So I was quite lucky, whereas Goose only had glasses, a necklace and a nighty, which I brought her. So
0: have you still got that, by the way? It's in the box of kit, Batty. I need to get it back from you.
2: Is that a you green do. thing? You need
0: to wash it. Yeah. Yes, I'm taking oh, to that on holiday. I used to clean my golf club so <laughs> on <laughs> the beach, didn't it? Oh, you Stop did it. Batty. it. Stop it. It's <laughs> it.
2: Oh, it.
4: God, I it's getting washed. I don't it. want it.
0: Bring, it. Bring it on Saturday and I'll wash <laughs> it.
4: <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but Matt, I have got a bit of a confession to tell you. Oh, no. So, <laughs> you know on Sunday when we were taking the tents down? Yeah. <laughs> Sherry and Maggie and me were at our tether's end with the whole just camping situation. So I can't promise the tent is folded to any amount of goodness (laughs) and it's just been shoehorned in. And as someone without naming names said... Sounds like a batty problem to me. <laughs>
3: um,
4: and that might be payback for me and you ditching the bed when we told Sherry that was no. a Sherry problem.
2: I'm glad you tipped me off on that, actually, because it's likely that those tents will remain in their bags now until next year unless I go and check them out. so Yeah, that, and that because of that, out.
4: the tent pegs wouldn't fit in the bag. They are still in the back of my car. And oh. I didn't realise this until we'd unpacked all the shit that was Sherry and Maggie's. <laughs> And then I found <laughs> Jodie's cucumber that she gifted me on, on 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 Sunday and a bag of tent pegs underneath the rugby kit when I unpacked my car yesterday. Sounds
5: like a good weekend.
4: Yeah, a cucumber and some tent pegs. It sounds oh like it's dodgy porno.
2: It does. Well I wake <laughs> up to a to a bra on a pole outside my tent. So yeah. yeah. Do we know where it came from? We know where it came from. I don't know whose it is. It's Casey Avonmouse. What I don't still don't fully understand is a why she wasn't wearing it, b how it came to be in my possession, c how it then came to not be in my possession, and then finally how it found its way back to me. Now, I suspect, in fact, I I know that Z and Bev had something to do with this. Jodie's just confessed Mm -hmm. you had something to do with it.
0: I've
5: got nothing,
2: I had nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. No, but did you hear
5: what they were going to do if I got the ball? No?
2: Yeah. Really? This is interesting.
5: So they discussed amongst themselves that they agreed. Ava Mouth. I don't know how they got this assumption. Yeah, Ava Mouth. But I like boobs. I don't know what gave them that idea. So they all decided amongst themselves, if I ever got the ball, they were all going to flash me. <laughs> but because I was on the wing and it never got out to me, I never got the ball, therefore I never got flashed. I did like suggest like a rematch, you know, 15 on one. I won't mind that, you know. I'll do it then. <laughs>
4: I remember this now. It's coming yeah. back to me.
5: It's flooding back to
2: yeah. me. Yeah, there was definitely some flashing just, on the dance floor. Uh, there was some flashing on the dance floor. Yeah, but then and then
5: someone said one well, of the girls that flashed you it was sixteen. I was like, ah, oh, uh, Goose is my lawyer. Please really? help her. <laughs> sixteen. I think that's what he said. Or oh, eighteen. Which, which oh, one was, it was that? Why now. were they there? Fighting's fine. Goose, I, I represent oh. her. Okay. Let's cut that bit out. They
0: did a lot of um, yeah. clothes There was swabbing.
2: definitely no nudity. There was a lot of clothes no. swapping. Again, I don't know how or why that, that started.
0: I think that's an Avonmouth thing. I don't know if it's like a tradition that they do at like games or events, but they all seem to just swap. They all, no, was a drunk. I then got really confused because people weren't wearing what I last saw them in. So I got really confused by it.
2: But worse than that. So, Jen, you weren't with me saying, if she, she's size six, I'd be amazed. She's tiny. And she was yeah, wearing she a fairly sort of strappy top. And then next thing I see, there's a guy that's probably 17 stone wearing her top.
0: Yeah, it wasn't an attractive sight.
2: Meanwhile, she's wearing Fiona's refereeing top.
4: Oh, yeah, that, I was really confused.
2: I think that's where the John and
4: Hannah, <laughs> Hannah swap clothes as well. And I got yeah. really confused why John was in a white tank top. And I was like, Hannah, you've picked the nicest shirt in the room to swap. Wait, and she was like yeah i'm not stupid and i was like oh <laughs> that and then the next day i seen hannah with said shirt in her bag and john had obviously left so i was like hannah i believe that is john's shirt you cannot steal <laughs> it now i think she was going to put it on a tiktok or something oh, that explains
0: bet. why i found hannah lewis's shirt in the toilets on the floor because i woke up in it and i didn't remember how i ended up with it and then it oh, all came back to me story. in the morning
3: Oh.
2: oh, that old story. Yeah. <laughs> the
4: lesbian vibes are real.
2: <laughs> Although I've never seen, I, I didn't know Goose had super strength before until I saw her trying to prevent her Exeter shorts being worn. <laughs> I
5: know. There was a
2: point where the Bristol players, the Evenmouth a- players thought, you know what, an Exeter Chief's pair of shorts in our clubhouse is asking for trouble, so let's debug it. In fact, Jodie, you were the ringleader. Jodie was this, the ringleader.
0: yeah. yeah.
5: I think the tribe.
0: There was three
2: of us trying, entirely, but Goose yeah. like geese demonstrated some serious. Like a, you know, when a, a drowning man has a strength of ten <laughs> tigers. It was a it was a bit like that.
0: You weren't having my shorts.
2: <laughs> Is it because you were wearing some granny pants? Or, no,
0: I had oddballs on, you know? so I would have just been representing. But I don't know if it was payback from Jody from when I was reveling in her misery when she was trying to peel those eyebrows off of her eyebrows. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh that was pure panic. So as, as my, like, granddad costume, well, I say granddad costume. I had very underprepared, so I'd like robbed a shirt off Hannah and some braces, and then robbed some eyebrows off, but especially a mustache off Sarah. Thought so, stick them to my eyebrows, look fine, fantastic. I then get bored halfway through the night, and like, I'll take these off now. Start gently peeling them. I'm like, okay, this adhesive is very adhesive. This is stuck to my eyebrows. <laughs> I'm trying to peel them away and panic ensues, panic fucking ensues. I'm, oh, my God, I'm going to need my eyebrows. Oh, my God, I'm going to need my eyebrows. Molly, oh yeah, this is classic. Molly like <laughs> normal normal head, goes, ask the serious questions. Do you need them for work? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I you right, <laughs>
5: Do I need them for work? Well, not necessarily. I just would like to keep them. I'm quite fond of them. She <laughs> kind of grew on <laughs> me.
4: I had a flashback from Holland's Head <laughs> Wedding when the groomsmen yeah, yeah. shaved their eyebrows and he got bollocked on the Monday morning. So I automatically just went, do you need them for work? Because that was what <laughs> I go to.
2: Amazing.
5: Oh, and Goose was recording the whole thing because I was shitting myself. I was like, then I went to the bathroom and slowly got them off. I was just pulling them the wrong way. I was going against the hair. No. Should have gone with it. I was really disappointed so you when you worked drag. out. I was
0: like, oh, I'm leave you now. <laughs>
2: Love it. <laughs> this is Molly's grassroots salute. Ah! Ah! And what have you got in the way of grassroots salutes? Because I've got one as well. Have you got one, Molly?
4: Yes, I have. I put it on the Instagram this morning, and I've now recruited them for the documentary. So um, Stanford Sirens have been doing recordings of themselves at training and it was their captain that did it first and it basically is like inside line this siren and I thought that was pretty epic so they're basically going to be recording each session little snippets so I wanted to give a massive shout out for them because I think the content is amazing and they are keen to be in the documentary and send us some of their footage that they've got so shout nice. out to them
2: Brilliant, I'd like to do a shout out to Darren the Pasty Man so oh, for, those, for those of you haven't listened to some of the older episodes, Darren's a coach at, at Stourbridge Ladies down in the West Midlands and uh, Darren's an avid listener, came on the pod for an interview, generally a bit of a super fan, um, was pretty good at sending us the odd meme and things like that Anyway, he vanished off the face of the earth. You know, so there was me thinking, you know what, the has died, or he's lost interest. He's listening to another. He's probably listening to, I don't know, the good, the bad, and the the rugby, or something like that, rather than us. I was like, you know what, he's dead to me. But lo and behold, out of nowhere, I got a little voice, a little um, uh, WhatsApp message from him with a video, and I was pretty busy, so I didn't watch it straight away. He sent a little message, saying, hi, how are you doing? And I, so I I replied, and then I, I just thought, oh, I haven't watched that video. I watched his video. And it absolutely made my day. He basically made a little video for the pod, uh, apologizing for his lack of engagement and saying that he'd had a busy time and Stourbridge, by the sound of it, had a difficult season and all the rest of it. And uh, just to say, you know, he still loved this and, you know, our relationship was still as strong as ever. So it it properly made me, me smile. It was one of those days where I had a pretty crappy work day and you know what, things like that make a massive difference in your day. Sometimes just a little bit of fun and a bit of laughter and just saying thanks and all that, you know? So Darren, you know, you're a great guy. Can't wait to have you back on the pod to talk about Starbridge's season, even though it sounds like a bit of a shocker. Massive thanks for doing that.
4: Could we publish it? Is
2: yeah, it we probably could actually. Yeah. If we
4: edit it? Could we publish it to everybody?
2: Yeah, probably can. Yeah. I'm not sure there's anything particularly sensitive in it. So yeah, for sure. And I think last thanks really is to everybody that came on Saturday. You know, it was a, one of the more challenging events to organise. I think we got the, the date wrong a little bit. There's quite a few events going on. A lot of people had pre-season friendlies and so on. Uh, so it's quite hard to, to get the numbers that we wanted. But in the end, we got a good number of people to come down and celebrate the day. And to everybody that made it, particularly the Dursley team, actually, I must admit, I probably was a bit lacking in my uh, thanks for Dursley on Saturday because, uh, you know, days day's very busy and you, you kind of forget sometimes. But, you know, they, those guys came along. They had an event clashing at their club, which meant that they were split, you know, being pressured to go to their event and come to our event and all the rest of it. So the ones that turned up to, to Avermouth uh, ended up playing for the Grassroots Nomads. Did a, put in a great shift against a very good team, actually. And massive thanks to Dursley. Massive thanks to Avonmouth, Obviously, the Nomads. Brilliant to see you all again. Particularly those that we saw last year, you know, for them to come back again. Uh, Nick and Stephen, you know, fans of the pod, not rugby players, but just enjoy listening to his chat and came down and joined us for the weekend. It was great to see them um, and really everybody that made it the success it was.
4: And Matt, we have to give a special shout out to you. Yeah, definitely. Do well, you say know. thanks, you know, whatever, you made it all happen. No, without you, Matt, we wouldn't have done it. Like none of this would have got off the ground. We'd have all just been talking about it in the Breiflemen still. So don't play yourself down. Thanks, Paul. However, (laughs) news in, fresh off the press. Nike agreed to sell Earp's number one shirt in. No, Uh, no, 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 no. Wait for it. uh, Inverted commas, limited quantity. uh, Oh, there we go. Oh, Nike. An absolute way to put something amazing and then take it away. Shit all over
0: it.
3: Yeah. And you
4: know what makes me piss? And I know this isn't intentional quantities ends with titties and i just think it's like come on could you not use a different word
2: yeah oh this is no, true I... speaking of titties molly first outing of the new sports bra how was it
4: oh yeah it was really good actually but i'm glad i didn't get my baps out because i don't think i got them back in <laughs> i genuinely got my sports bra out but if i got the boys out they wouldn't have gone yeah fine however now my backache i'm like is it my bra is it covid is it you know having a glass back after lying on the floor after sherry purposely deflated my airbed jury's out but yeah we got the first proper outing on saturday
2: nice i think that's definitely another episode right there isn't it
0: definitely Definitely. There's quite a lot of discussion
2: about sports bras we've done it before but i think it's definitely worth revisiting but on that note thanks for listening new seasons rapidly approaching so We'll do a, a pre-season opener at some point in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, good night.
5: Knock on, knock off. Yeah, oh, where is, is the knock, knock on, knock off? You, got, you done one? Well, I did one for a Saturday. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just going to reuse that one.
2: I'll do, do it next time. I'm, I've got to go, really. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Jodie, thanks for doing knock on, knock off. You're
5: welcome. Thanks, yeah. Matt. I forgot
4: Jodie made her feel All this right. small.
2: Yeah, sorry, Jodie. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Bye. Adios, amigos. Bye.
2: Well, that takes us to the end of this pre season friendly of an episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We also really hope you can donate to the MND fundraiser. The web address is www.all4mnd.co.uk. The four is the number four. You can follow their progress on the site and also on their social media. Don't forget to like, share, and give us a radio on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> A brilliant finish. This is Grassroots, Women's Rugby from the Roots Up.